We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Chargers fans. This is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media, including our Patreon account, where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the show. Hey, Charge fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charge podcast. With me, as always, today is Alex. Alex, how are you doing uh, today, man? I'm doing pretty good. Better than Gardner Minshew today. But uh, <laughs> that's, that's about all good. <laughs> yeah, man, that was rough. I uh, I had him in a daily fantasy league, and you know, I was expecting some, at minimum, some garbage time points, and he just it was not pretty. Should have known to stay away from Thursday Night Football, but it is what it is. Uh, I know I always say this, but we do really have a jam-packed show today. Uh, this is our first time ever having a double interview episode. It's going to be really exciting for you guys. Hopefully, you can uh, learn some things. And so we have uh, Josh Albrechtson, aka Go LA Bolts. You know, obviously, he's uh, very popular on Twitter, and he uh, lended his medical expertise to the situation surrounding Tyrod. And then we were fortunate enough to interview Matt Money Smith. Uh, talking about Justin Herbert, obviously the, the Tyrod situation and Jerry Tillery's development. So, uh, we'll get to those interviews down the line, but first we are going to start with our, some of our week three picks. Um, so we have our first head to head as well. So it's a big, big day of first for the guilty as charged podcast. Alex, why don't you, uh, get us started with your first three picks? Yeah. So, uh, my first three picks, I'm going to go with the Packers over the saints. 
Um, Packers have just looked really good the first two games. Saints just kind of look shaky in Oakland, and they might not have Michael Thomas. Uh, so that's a big blow if they don't for that game. So I'm going to go Packers over the Saints uh, on the Sunday night game. Uh, I'll go Pats over Raiders. I think Pats, uh, they rebound from last week, getting stopped at the goal line. Uh, I thought it was funny that, you know, now the Patriots are the ones getting stopped at the goal line uh, versus Seattle. But, yeah, so the uh, yeah, Patriots bounce back uh, and are able to beat the Raiders, who are a little bit overrated. Uh, then in our head-to-head, uh, Steven has the Rams, spoiler, and I have the Bills. Um, I got the Bills because of their defense, and uh, as much as I shit on him, Josh Allen has looked... He hasn't pooped his pants in the first two games, so, you know, it's, um, he's looked all right. So I'll go with Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills to topple the Rams. So I'm going with the Packers, the Patriots, and the Bills. That's where the standard for Josh Allen is. is <laughs> did he poop his pants or not? <laughs> um, I've actually been really impressed with the Rams' defense over the past couple of weeks. You know, they haven't really had much of a pass rush outside of Aaron Donald, but uh, Jalen Ramsey has been amazing, and I fully expect him to shadow Stephon Diggs and kind of take him out of the game. So uh, I think the Rams win in a close one there. So that'll be our head-to-head matchup, if you will. Uh, obviously, if the Bills win, that move will move Alex, you know, theoretically ahead of me and, and vice versa. And then I'm going to take the Ravens over the Chiefs. You know, I know this that's two weeks in a row for me picking the Ravens, but I just I, I think the Ravens are fantastic. And I think the Ravens probably win by 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Ravens are really going to kind of uh, come out swinging against the Chiefs and, and, and kind of get some revenge from last year. Um, and then my third pick is going to be the Bears over the Falcons. Um, the Bears defense, you know, Mitch Trubisky, Mitch Trubisky uh, he has not been <laughs> shitting his pants. So he's been, actually been okay. Uh, and their defense, you know, with Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn and all those guys. And my guy Jalen Johnson has been huge for them. So I think the defense is going to do just enough to slow down the uh, Falcons offense, which has been, you know, just lights out to start. But Julio Jones is a little banged up over there. Uh, so that'll be an interesting one to watch. You mentioned the Raiders real quick. Um, Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs have not practiced this week. So um, <laughs> if that is if they don't play, that game could get ugly really right. quick. Right. Uh- yeah, so I, I got the Patriots at that one, kind of even if they do play. I mean, I was impressed with the Monday night performance, but... I agree. I, I just, I don't buy the Saints offense, uh, or not the Saints offense, I, I just don't buy that as a big win without Mike Thomas, because um, the Saints defense hasn't been quite as solid this year. Uh, so yeah, and uh, yeah, so in regards to Josh Allen and... Uh, Mitch Trubisky, a lot of the times we judge quarterbacks by QBR or passer rating, but when it comes to those two, we just judge them by a poopy pants index. Uh, it's it's a new <laughs> stat in which we just calibrate, are you going to you know throw a pick or poop your pants or commit a fumble uh, to really put your team in a bad position? But so far this season, they haven't, so they're, they're scoring pretty high. Uh, you know, on the other side, you know, Dwayne Haskins not scoring high in that, in the poopy pants index. So, <laughs> so, uh, uh, oh, just to 
asked for records so far. Uh, Steven is five and one in the lead. I am four and two. I really should be three and three, but the Falcons uh, just absolutely collapsed. So <laughs> that, that saved me. But yeah, so Steven is one game ahead of me so far. Yeah, so that game will uh, will switch things over. I will say though, you know, Dwayne Haskin. He's just not making the gut-wrenching mistakes that the other True. two are. He's just not yeah. playing very good. Um, you know, I want to I want to kind of go back to the Raiders. I know this is off topic, but uh, you mentioned not putting too much stock into that game. You know, if you're the Raiders, you take any win you can get, right? But um, there were a lot of you know media members saying that the Raiders are legit. The Raiders are contenders. I don't know if I buy that personally because that defense is still really really bad. Um, their best pass rusher so far has been Arden Key. They don't have any good corners. Um, and, you know, Darren Waller is a fantastic player, but if teams start double-teaming him, I don't know really... I don't really know how much I buy yeah, the Raiders. Yeah, I feel like this starts with the Raiders being 5-3 and three and then finishing, like, 7-9. and nine. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of how it's gone the last couple of years. Uh, I think the Raiders are in a better position than they were last year, but... Yeah, it's it's the defense that's the troubling part of it, and the defense becomes uh, much more important at the beginning of the season than I think at the end when it comes to just like finishing uh, some close games or you know holding someone like you know Patrick Mahomes down, right? Like that's that's been their kryptonite and what they have been able to do because they entered that uh, Chiefs game last year six and four or something like that, and then they lost their last five, four or five six games, and then they finished six and ten. So. You know, it's that kind of thing for the Raiders. I don't know if that defense is built for the long haul. And then, right, if you have Darren Waller or Josh Jacobs missing some amount of time, uh, that's kind of a negative as well. But, uh, you know, I will say Carr has kind of picked off, uh, picked up from where he left off last year. So that's that's a positive for them. Um, yeah, I just don't know if that team is built kind of for a 16-game season, but we'll see. Yeah, I agree with you. And and they will uh, get their chance to prove if they're legit or not because they play the Patriots this week, Bills next week, Chiefs after that, and then the Buccaneers the week after that. So this four-game stretch for them. Uh, if they're legit and they go you know, two and two those games, uh, I think that's probably best-case scenario for them, right. honestly. Um, but if they go three and one, obviously that would be a, a huge thing for them. So we'll get into, obviously, the big news of the week has been the Tyrod situation and um, really just a, a scary, scary situation for him. But uh, as I learned with uh, Josh Albertson, it's not all that uncommon. So he's going to join uh, the show right now, and then he will kind of give his medical expertise uh, and kind of delve into the diagnosis of Tyrod. So give that a listen, guys. All right, guys. So happy now to be joined now by Josh Albertson, a.k.a. Go L.A. Bolts, a.k.a. Dan Feeney MVP which I love. I'm a big Dan Feeney guy, so I love seeing that change. Uh, Josh, how are you doing today, man? Oh, I can't complain. Can't complain. Doing great. Herbie is starting and all is right in the world. All is right in the world. It certainly is an exciting time to be a Charters fan. Um, obviously, the, today was kind of crazy. The last few days with the Tyrod situation has been really insane. Um, he, yeah. He was listed on the injury report on Friday for uh, a rib injury. And then, of course, he was unable to play due to the shot, uh, due to the in- injection in his ribs to kind of numb the pain. I messaged you on Sunday night. Uh, what was your first reaction to, you know, what was going on with him sitting? 
and you called it right away. So why don't you kind of explain <laughs> the, the, the thought process of, of the pneumothorax and, and kind of what that means and, and help our listeners understand what exactly went on with uh, Tyrod's injury. So I was pretty lucky about that call. I mean, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, okay, someone has develops breathing problems, goes to the hospital. You know, there's only a few things that could do that in a healthy young person. And the pneumothorax was one of them. So, um, so let, let, let me actually uh, talk about what the actual facts are, you know, instead of going through what we knew when we knew it, we know that Tyrod broke his ribs, two ribs sometime during the Bengal game. And he was having rib discomfort and the staff found out about it on Thursday. And he was, that's why he's listed on the injury report on Friday. And a lot of people fracture their ribs and play all the time. There's all kinds of quarterbacks that fracture the ribs. And what they do is they put extra padding around the ribs and they're still able to play. It sucks for them. It hurts them whenever right. they get hit. It's bad, but you could play with broken ribs because, you know, it's solely a pain control issue. You know, having broken ribs isn't going to make it any worse. Getting hit there won't make it any worse. So um, what happened to Tyrod is a freak accident. You know, one in 1,000 of these shots, it happens. Um, the way their rib works is each rib has its own nerve, and that nerve travels directly underneath the rib. So the way to make rib fractures bearable is you inject lidocaine, a numbing medication or a medication just like that, directly underneath the rib. And because you inject it next to the nerve, it makes that rib numb. So it, they don't feel that pain anymore. And this happens all the time with professional players. You hear the knee injection shots, that's the same thing. Todd Gurley was getting these shots every day where it's just like, okay, my knee is numb. I don't feel the pain. I can make the cuts. Same thing with these nerve shots. You put the lidocaine right next to the nerve, which is directly underneath the rib, and they play, and they, it's fine. The problem is it only lasts about three to four hours, so you have to do it right before the, right. the game. So, you know, this is something that plenty of people do all the time. Tyrod just is the most unlucky football player ever because you're sticking a needle next to a rib. Now, these players are muscular players. You know, I mean, you look at yourself, uh, I'm talking about myself, anybody who's listening to this podcast, you probably have a lot of fat between yourself and the ribs. So it's hard to stick a needle directly in the spot underneath the ribs. And a similar thing with Tyrod, except he has a lot of muscles and we don't. So, so <laughs> the doctor probably stuck the needle right where it's supposed to be or slightly further. Tyrod could take a deep breath or something like that. And the needle goes too far and hits the lung. Happens all the time you know i mean it probably happens one out of every hundred of these injections but it's only a rare time that you actually puncture the lung that you get a pneumothorax so you know i mean tyrod just got so lucky everybody's blaming the doctor don't get me wrong there might have been other doctors who didn't do it but you probably would still get the same amount of pneumothoraces if you had each 10 doctors do 10,000 injections, each doctor will probably get 10 pneumothoraces, no matter what. You know, it's just like if you're a truck driver who drives 10,000 miles, you're going to crash once. If you're a quarterback who throws 100 passes, you're going to throw one pick. And that's what happened with Tyrod, and he was unlucky that the needle caused such a big thing right before a game. Now, if you're in the real world, 
if it was any of us, it's fine. You go to the hospital, you get oxygen for two hours, and you're sent home with a can of oxygen. It's not a big complication for normal people. A professional athlete, it's a big complication because you can't play with it. Right. So that's why, you know, it happens all the time. But for normal people, it's just, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is, is definitely his body composure. Like you mentioned, he probably is like 5%, 6% fat, uh, body fat, excuse me. And so with the cracked ribs, if he just had the cracked ribs, like what kind of timetable do you think he would have in terms of his ribs healing up and him not having to wear a flak jack or get another shot? Um, what kind of time frame is that like? So all broken bones, no matter the broken bone, all have the same healing time period. At four weeks, you have not solid stuff, but you have cartilage stuff. So it bends slightly, you'd still have some pain. And at about six weeks, the cartilage is replaced by bone. So at four weeks for almost all bone injuries, you know, I mean, if you're on a leg, you can't stand on that cartilage thing, but you won't have pain. So he would probably in about four weeks not have pain and in about six weeks it'll fuse so it'll be like a normal bone so that's why uh adrian phillips last week last year he was held out seven weeks for his broken arms you know for most people if you break an arm you could be back in five weeks with cast because you don't feel the pain anymore but you need the cast for stability so for tyrod with his broken ribs it would be painful but i would expect a hundred percent normal tyrod taylor um week four Okay. That's, that's really interesting. Would he have to, you know, this is all obviously hypothetical, but if he were able to play this past Sunday and then this coming Sunday, he plays again, would he have to get a second shot or do you think that would be more of just like a, depending you on. You would probably thing? shoot it. You'd like breaking the bangles. He would have gotten shot last week, would have gotten shot next week and maybe the shot week after. So the problem with the quarterback is they use those muscles to throw. And, you know, I mean, that's why um, Anthony Lynn said that he noticed it in practice. Like Tyrod wasn't doing the things that he normally does. I'm sure Tyrod knew he was had his rib fractures, but he didn't want to go out again. So I'm sure that he probably hit it. Pure speculation on my part, but I know that if I was a professional athlete in Tyrod's position, who I would hide small injuries like that. But, you know, because yeah. because you're a quarterback, you have to twist your body to throw. And he would know on every twist, you know, my ribs are broken. It's not the same as getting hit. But it would slightly change his throwing motion. So he couldn't do what he, he would normally do. And, you know, that's a reason that's always hard for QBs with these injuries. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, in terms of the puncture lug, I saw you tweet this about, you know, the flying issue. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson pretty famously took a bus to, I want to say the Jaguars game after he partially punctured his lung. Um, so if they had a home game after the Panthers Panthers next week, do you think that he would be able to play or, or is that just more of a, a flying issue? Yeah. If he, so, um, I had to look this up because, you know, you know it, it's life. If someone has a pneumothorax, tell them you can't fly for six weeks. You know, but and for most people, it doesn't matter because they don't need to fly for their job. Tyrod Taylor, you know, he needs to fly for his job. So I had to look it up. I'm like, okay, what's the, what's the actual recommendation? Because we would just tell people, yeah, six weeks, you're grounded. 
Um, the actual recommendation is a minimum of two weeks. So because he got injured on Friday, on Sunday and most teams fly out on Thursday or Friday, that would be 12 days. And you don't risk professional athletes health. you know, going up in a plane, if you still have a leak, it makes the leak about five times worse. That's why you don't go up in a plane because if you're still leaking from your lung, it will go down very quickly. You know, a lot of, a lot of the, is there a doctor on the plane, uh, in things are heart attacks, but you also have a higher number of pneumothoraces up, up there because when you're in a plane, the air gets thinner. And so, you know, the air leaks, the air expands in the chest and it causes more problems. So, you know, that's why you don't fly and a professional athlete, you don't want to risk it. You know, if it was the Raiders, okay, you could ship them on a bus for, you know, or you could have the plane fly lower. You know, I mean, you don't have to go that high up, but because it's Tampa Bay cross country, five hour flight, I would be shocked beyond belief if a doctor cleared him to fly 12 days after a pneumothorax. Yeah, that would be pretty surprising as well. And then uh, the last question I have really is, is there any long-term concern here for Tyrod Taylor? Like in terms of, you know, if he gets hit again, could he, I don't really know how any of this works, obviously, but uh, any long-term concern for Tyrod Taylor? There is no long-term concern for Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor three weeks from now would be a hundred, will be a hundred percent. Tyrod Taylor probably 10 days from now will be like 98%. He starts rip fractures, but as far as the pneumothorax goes, he probably like, I don't think a doctor would have cleared him for this, for this. Well, the doctors didn't clear him for the week. I think it's 50, 50 on if he would have been cleared for next week. Um, because of the puncture lung, you know, it's, it's, there isn't a science on it really. You know, this is not something that happens often. You know, there's probably been a case of, there's probably 10 cases of NFL players who have pneumothoraces in the season. So, you know, I, as a doctor, I don't think a doctor would have risked their own medical license or practice or anything like that to have allowed him to play um, against the Tampa Bay Bucks, if the Tampa Bay Bucks was a home game. But as far as Tyrod Taylor, the rib, the ribs will be healed by uh, by the Tampa Bay game, or you know, a week after it, you know, and he will be the, the lung is probably healed within a week. So I would expect that the game after Tampa Bay, Tyrod Taylor would be cleared hundred percent and feel hundred percent. So it'll be really interesting to see how they handle that because you know, some teams when they go East coast like that, they prefer to stay over there. So I don't know if he would be practicing that week or not. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Um, Is it Tampa Bay? And then what's the next game after Tampa Bay? It's Tampa and then new Orleans. Oh yeah. No, I mean, they, the Chargers specifically asked for that so they could stay over there. Now they did that pre COVID. So I don't, I don't know yeah. if that will stick, but I remember reading about how the Chargers, you could always ask that your trips be bunched together. So like when we play the Patriots this year, they're playing the Rams and Chargers back to back. So, you know, we yeah. always, you could always ask for that and the NFL grants it. So we'll see if the Chargers stay out there in, in COVID, you know, who is it? The uh, 49ers are playing the Giants and Jets back to back. And right now they're staying at a country club in New Jersey. Yeah, so but the Rams are playing in New York again this week, and they decided to fly back to LA. So 
Well, uh, COVID world has created some challenges, especially for travel. Uh, so yeah. we'll see what they do with Tyrod Taylor. And uh, obviously, we're hoping for the best for him. My biggest takeaway from really listening to medical professionals like yourself is that this was truly a freak accident and it really was no one's fault. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are blaming the doctor. You know, I mean, it's don't get me wrong. There might've been other doctors who would have done it perfectly, but you know, I mean, this was bound to happen. You know, this is the old chargers doctor was horrible. He, he, he was a fraud, but you know, I mean, this kind of injury happens all the time with this kind of procedure. So, you know, it's not that shocking. And I wouldn't quite say it's the doctor's fault per se. So it's not negligent and no one can get sued over it. So. Yeah. And even if Tyrod wanted to sue, he couldn't because of the CBA. So (laughs) that's another thing that people need to realize right now. Uh, Well, not just the CBA. Okay. Yeah. Not just the CBA before any of these procedures, they always say some of the risks are pneumothoraces and you know, that legally makes the doctor not able to be sued, but that's another thing. Not relevant. (laughs) All right, Josh, man. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, Hopefully our listeners were able to learn some things from your medical expertise and kind of gain some clarity on Tyra Taylor's situation. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Go chargers, go Trojans. And uh, glad that your baby is healthy, man. Thanks for having me. You know, I hope that we don't have to do this again. You know what I mean? But being the Chargers, <laughs> you know, this might be a weekly thing, but go Chargers, bolt up. <laughs> thanks, man. Okay, bye. All right. So uh, thanks again, Josh, for joining us. Obviously a scary situation. I did message him on Sunday, like right after it happened. And he called the pneumothorax almost right away, whether that was luck or him being smart or or obviously you had pro football doc, which I don't want to dive into that history too much, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think this was a scary situation and sucks that it happens to Tyrod, but from everything that I've heard, uh, this is, is, you know, standard procedure in terms of the shot. And it is always a possibility. It's just not super common. Uh, unfortunately it just happened to be Tyrod that, you know, th- this lung puncture resulted in, in the shot. Uh, David Chow, you are invited uh, on the podcast for me to tell you how much of a fraud you are to your face. Uh, anyway, uh, more importantly, <laughs> Tyrod, uh, yeah, uh, learning that it was a lung puncture on Wednesday made a lot of things make sense to me. And we'll get to Anthony Lynn's comments on Monday that had a lot of people talking. Um, but you could sense a lot of frustration uh with kind of uh lynn and maybe how he was talking and you know we thought that tyrod just kind of had a you know injury that kept him out of the game and then we learned it was a long puncture right um so that's a much much worse situation uh so yeah it was very very unfortunate injury Uh, i don't you know a lot of people were talking about firing the medical staff and tyrod suing uh i i don't think that'll happen i mean the Chargers will have to cooperate with an NFLPA investigation uh, into the matter, uh, but I don't know if that will really turn much up, uh, other than the fact that you know this is a this is a risk that happens when you try to uh, inject something into the ribs, uh, and there's not enough uh, meat there. As has uh, that's been the way people have said it to me. So um, yeah, no, uh, definitely an unfortunate injury for Tyrod, but uh, yeah, I I mean. The way that I thought about it was that Tyrod was going to be back for week three and we were just going to do that. But obviously, this now brings uh, Justin Herbert into the fold. And, um, 
yeah, so Tyrod remains the starter in name, um, but we'll see how many games he's supposed to miss. It, it just, it it kind of just impresses me that he was really trying to play with, you know, cracked ribs, you know, just he was going to put on a flak jacket and, you know, do all that. And, like, that's the part of, like, being a football player that, like, I can never understand. And, and Rivers, like, Rivers did that <laughs> stuff, too, where, you know, with a yeah, torn ACL, the torn ACL, right? or yeah. like uh, when he was going to play San Francisco, he had the the bulging disc in his back uh, and stuff like that. So just that type of stuff, I like will never understand the toughness aspect of it. And like, but you know, Tyrod wants to you know keep his job for as long as he can. Um, and you know, certainly after this week, Herbert has to be viewed as a a threat. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, I definitely uh, respect Tyrod and all he's going to do, and uh, just feel so bad for him that you know kind of a, a another bad break for him like kind of his uh, concussion in cleveland but this time you know none of it could be really attributed to his fault just a uh, really unfortunate situation all around yeah it, it really is you know he finally gets to a place where he has the full support of the coach and the coaching staff the locker room the organization and then this happens so there were uh, a lot of frustrating takes on Twitter that that I saw, and and you know, obviously everybody was kind of questioning, you know, what was the point of even having Tyrod go out there, and you know, like you mentioned, I think he understood, he had some self awareness that if he missed a couple of games, that he was probably going to lose his job again, and you know, no one really knows when the rib injury happened. Anthony Lynn said that it happened early on. Um, and so I posted a video of, of a blitz breakdown where Akeem Davis Gaither had a free shot on Tyrod. Um, if it's that play, that means that he had two cracked ribs on his right side, which is obviously the side that he throws the football with. So he played all of week one, essentially, with cracked ribs. They didn't know it at the time, but that obviously is what happened. And then he was going to play again this week through cracked ribs, and everybody was kind of you know, making jokes at, at maybe he was having a panic attack and, and, you know, all these things. I saw some people say maybe he had COVID and, and it's just like, that's the thing that bugs me the most about the whole situation is everybody was throwing Tyrod under the bus, ready to make all these judgments and they didn't know any of the details. And then they did the same thing with Anthony Lynn. And, you know, I, that's the other thing I wanted to get to is, you know, I messaged some, I messaged some former athletes. I messaged uh, Chris Hairston you know, I don't want to put words in his mouth or anything like that, but uh, he was basically like, when you're a young player, you need to see your coach stick up for the veteran players. You need to know that down the line, your coach is going to have your back in this kind of situation. And whether we fans like it or not, NFL players think that a player should never lose their job due to an injury. And so everybody was outraged by what Anthony Lynn said. Especially the uh, well, he's a backup for a reason thing, which I don't. You had some feelings on that as well, but I just felt like you know Anthony Lynn knows what he's doing in terms of the locker room. You know, we saw that in Hard Knocks. He knows how to uh, relate to his players and have a good relationship with them, and even undrafted free agents like Darius Bradlow, he's got a great relationship with him. And so the outrage from Twitter was just really frustrating the last yeah, few days. Um... So specifically talking about the uh, injury at first, right? I think there's a big difference between this injury, right, where it's something that was totally out of Tyrod's control versus, you know, uh, getting knocked out uh, of uh, of Cleveland with a concussion, right? And then Baker comes in, Tyrod right. never gets uh, his chance or an opportunity to get back in, right? Like to, and to me, that's a different situation for the injury reason. And obviously, 
Baker Mayfield, I think, entered that season uh, more pro-ready, I think, than Justin Herbert. So, yeah, I, I think that that was the big uh, kind of difference, be- a situation being in your control to some extent versus a situation being completely out of your control. So, And, you know, people just wanted, like, Anthony Lynn to crown Justin Herbert while Tyrod Taylor's in the hospital on Sunday. I'm like, you guys know that's not gonna, that's not how this works. <laughs> but other than that, um, getting to the, uh, Herbert comments, cause I mean, that's what a lot of people were, were talking about on Monday. So that's when he talked about Tyrod being the best chance to win. And he talked about, you know, Herbert being a backup for a reason. Um, and the way that I interpreted the backup for a reason comments is like, well, you know, he, he sort of had a frustrated tone in the interview, but I, I don't really blame that on him because, you know, as we came to learn, he was dealing with the starting quarterback with a punctured lung uh, and, you know, was trying to figure out how to move on the team and trying to, you know, consider things he could have done better in Kansas City. So he was probably in a pretty frustrated mood. <laughs> um, but And that was like the seventh question right. from the media on him. They asked him, like every single reporter that went by was like, right. well, who's the starter? Well, why is Tyler yeah, the starter? Yeah, and it's just like, you know, if you ask him eight times, he'll probably get more pissed each time. Um, but, you know, I yeah. just, thinking about the backup for a reason comment, I didn't really think that that was like an indictment on Herbert. Like, the thing that we've been saying all offseason is that Herbert is developmental. He's, you know, he's going to be the guy of the future, right, after either after this season or later in this season. Um, but Tyra's the starter for now, right? Like, that's what we constantly kept saying on the podcast. Uh, that's, I mean, I wrote about it, right? You know, you guys started the podcast back in February, so, you know, you've been talking about it since the draft, really. Um, you know, so I, I didn't really think backup for a reason was an insult. You know, if you look at Miami, you know, we just saw Ryan Fitzpatrick play, uh, to, to a Vailoa is a backup for a reason, right? You know, all these guys that, you know, start like that, you know, on the bench, unless you're someone like Joe Burrow, who just starts immediately out of the gate, that's become rarer and rarer. And I don't think that it was an insult to say that Tyrod, uh, is er, not that Tyrod, sorry, Justin is a backup for a reason. You know, he's he's developmental, and you know he's going to come along at his own pace, and eventually, he's going to be the future quarterback of this team. And that comment got so much attention that people didn't pay attention later in the interview. He's like, "Yeah, we took Herbert with the sixth pick, and we think he's going to be outstanding quarterback." Like, I'm like, he just said the same. You know, it's not like yeah. he's going to play Tyrod. You know, two or three years down the line, and Herbert's just going to be sitting on the bench. A la, you know, Favre Rogers in Green Bay. Like, that's not how this is going to go. Um, so I just think people were being a little bit, like, unrealistic about what backup for a reason meant and, and just kind of misinterpreting his comment there. Um, as far as the whole Tyrod gets, gives us the best chance to win comment, look, he's not going to demote Tyrod from being the starter while, t- again, while Tyrod's in the hospital dealing with a punctured lung uh, and all of that. He, he's just not going to demote him. And, you know, even if it wasn't an injury, and let's say, you know, for example, uh, Tyrod had something else happen to him, or, um, you know, maybe they just thought Herbert was a better match against KC, whatever. Uh, even if, you know, Herbert plays that game fully uh, with a non-injured Tyrod, like, or maybe Tyrod takes an injury for one game, I, Anthony Lynn has talked about KC a lot and the whole... Uh, Smith Mahomes dynamic, right? And he's talked about how he kind of views uh, Tyrod and Herbert as that to some extent. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, Alex Smith is better than Tyrod. And I agree with that. But 
at the same time, it's kind of just about the dynamic between, you know, veteran starter and rookie quarterback. Um, and, you know, I think back to that season, I'm like, okay, well, what if Alex Smith, for example, was out in week two and Patrick Mahomes came in, in, you know, that 2017 week three and he lit it up, like would, uh, Andy Reed stick with Patrick Mahomes or would he go with Alex Smith again? Right. After that week. Um, and, and, you know, my reasoning was just like, I, you know, considering that's a playoff team and considering they viewed Mahomes like the Chargers do Herbert as a developmental prospect, I think he would put, uh, I think he would put Alex Smith back in, right? So you're talking about the guy that gives you the best chance to win. Um, you know, well, I think Herbert is that guy right now, uh, you know, considering the injury status of Tyrod um, and the fact that, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, you know, there's a lot of hype around Herbert right now, but I thought he did look much better in that game than I thought he would. Um, and, you know, that with the injury status of Tyrod, uh, I would personally lean Herbert. But, you know, you can see kind of in that example of why Anthony Lynn looks at the veteran uh, who's not going to commit turnovers and thinks that he's the better fit. So I just didn't think anything that Anthony Lynn said was nearly as bad as people interpreted it to be. I agree with you. And the backup for a reason I feel like was taken way out of context and way just the reaction was, I don't, I didn't view it as an indictment on Herbert either. I just felt like he was saying, listen, like our plan was to have Tyrod and you know, this is, you know, evolving right now. And we believe in Tyrod and that could be the reason why Justin Herbert is a backup, right? Because they, they fully believe in uh in Tyrod Taylor and Adam Schefter said that and Daniel Popper has continually stated that Anthony Lynn views Tyrod as a bona fide starter that he wants to give him a true shot and um I don't know we'll see how this plays out obviously uh Justin Herbert is going to start this week against the Carolina Panthers uh Justin Albert or Justin sorry just Josh Albertson uh said that you know when you have a pneumothorax like Tyrod has uh, you're not allowed to fly for, you know, a few weeks. So I would expect that Justin Herbert starts this week and next week at minimum. Uh, and then we'll have to see what happens with Tyrod if he's able to fly out for the game in New Orleans. I don't really know what the team is planning to do in terms of traveling, if they're going to stay out on the East Coast or what. Um, but, you know, we're going to see the next two games of Justin Herbert and and that needs to be okay. And obviously if he plays amazing, like he did on Sunday, I think he'll, they'll probably uh, go with him. But I think my main thing is that Anthony Lynn viewed it as Tyrod Taylor won the starting job and Justin Herbert didn't. Now it's totally possible that Justin can go out and win the starting job, but he wants to make sure that Justin has the opportunity to really earn it. And, you know, football coaches love narratives and they love making players, you know, prove their ability in practice. So if Justin Herbert plays amazing the next two games, I have a hard time believing that he would go back to Tyrod. Uh, obviously, that depends on Justin. You know, you mentioned his ability and, and he played really well. There were obviously a couple of mistakes and, and some uh, obviously the interception. And then there were some times where he turned the wrong way f for some handoffs. But if Justin seizes this opportunity, man, and takes it by the horns, I don't see a way that they go back to Tyrod in a few games if he, you know, plays amazing and they win. Right. Uh, I was thinking of the uh, Deshaun Watson injury, which was a little bit similar uh, to this one, where you know, they Deshaun Watson, I believe, only missed a week, and then they put Deshaun Watson on the bus. Now, 
that would be a little bit different here because we're talking about going all the way from Los Angeles to Tampa Bay. So yeah. I think that that would be the complication there on putting him on the bus for, you know. Yeah, Tyrod would have to leave like <laughs> yeah. tomorrow on the so, bus to and go so, yeah, to Tampa. I, I think the two-week uh, thing is pretty accurate, and then we'll see what happens in the New Orleans game, and obviously that'll depend on how Tyrod plays against, uh, or how Herbert plays against Carolina and how Herbert plays against Tampa Bay. So, yeah, um, it's just kind of a wait-and-see thing, but um, I have been impressed with Herbert so far, but... Um, not so much that I expect, you know, Anthony Lynn to name him the starter, right? I, I do think, as you said, Herbert has to kind of, like, earn that role uh, and, you know, continue to prove himself uh, week in and week out. Um, yeah, and obviously Anthony Lynn doesn't want to name him the starter now because of everything that did happen with Tyrod uh, in the last few days. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we will have to see what happens. And that's the thing is everybody needs to be patient. He's not going to come out and say like, oh, Justin's going to be the starter for the rest of the season. Um, you know, when looking back on other situations that are comparable to this, the coach tends to kind of take it, you know, week by week for a few weeks. And then if Herbert plays really well for the next month, then obviously he'll make a decision. But, you know, if you even go back to Alex Smith versus Colin Kaepernick, Alex Smith got knocked out and Kaepernick played two games and he was kind of up and down. Uh, and then he, they basically had a quarterback competition that week when Alex Smith was able to clear concussion protocol. So, you know, this isn't going to be super clear right away because, like I mentioned, Anthony Lynn is, is kind of devoted to Tyrod and, and devoted to giving him his shot. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, in terms of seeing, you know, Matt Money Smith uh, was gracious enough to join us, and he obviously was in person to see Justin Herbert's debut. Uh, we asked him about that. Uh, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy this interview. Give it a listen. All right, guys, Alex and I are so happy to be joined now by Matt Money Smith, who obviously does a fantastic job on Chargers Radio, calling the games every single Sunday. Matt, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing all right, man. Thanks for uh, for having me. I know we tried to put it together uh, a couple of weeks ago. My apologies. Football season gets uh, a little nutty. Earlier today, I was on with Carolina Station, and then a Raven Station, and then we did the uh, the pod with with Chris Harry. So it's it's busy, man. And I think the the Justin Herbert has just got a lot of people excited right now, and and it seems like that's really amped up the interest in this team. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's spot on, and and you know I've noticed that there's been a a lot more Chargers fans hopping on Twitter, which has been nice to see. Uh, and let's get started about that Justin Herbert's debut. Uh, you obviously had the pleasure of calling that game, and. Uh, it was the first home game for the Chargers at SoFi Stadium. Uh, walk us through what that was, what that process was like, and what was your impression of Justin Herbert's debut? Yeah, the process was weird because nobody knew. Um, you know, we we interviewed Tom and we interviewed Coach Lynn, Tom Telesco and Anthony Lynn before the game. None of them mentioned anything. So when we saw him trot out, uh, DJ saw it first, and Daniel Jeremiah, the color analyst, and he pointed to him. He's like. Well, it should be interesting. I thought it was maybe a trick play or, or something like that, you know, that they had steamed up to catch the Chiefs flat-footed there to start the game. And then next thing you know, you see the CBS feed that we get in our in our booth showing Tyrod being intended to on the bench. And it's like, holy crap, Justin Herbert's a starting quarterback for this game. Yeah. And uh, and then just, you know, following the opening drive, it was all it was all Herbert analysis on Herbert. It was a brilliant drive, some good throws, some great runs, and obviously showing off, you know, what a six foot six, 235 pound guy looks like. 
you know, trying to run for a touchdown and just shedding dudes throughout the course of the game. And I, I thought it was, you know, it was an impressive debut. There, there really is no other way to put it. He, he made some throws that we haven't seen a quarterback make in a Chargers uniform in a long time. I, I will say I thought his one run where he, he kind of like slowed up and still, you know, laid the wood against the Chiefs linebacker was hilarious because uh, it really seemed like he was like not trying to <laughs> really lay the wood, but he did. Uh, then, of course, he popped out of his shoe and still dropped a dime. So uh, the physical attributes and physical talent there was incredible to watch. Yeah, we knew that, you know, as someone who, who does the combine with NFL Network and is around a lot of different scouts and, and people that cover you know, the draft in college football, you know, there was no doubt about Herbert. The one thing you kept hearing was sneaky athleticism, so much more athletic than you think, just because of how big he is. You wouldn't imagine a human that large can move the way he moves. And that's how you end up getting drafted, you know, number six overall. But I think we also saw some of the things that, that I think people were concerned about, and that's maybe steering the ball a little bit, as opposed to just kind of cutting loose and trusting your arm and, and getting a little more feel. I thought, you know, the one pass to Mike, to Mike Williams in the end zone, if he had put a little more air under that, that that probably could have been a touchdown. You know, just thinking about Mike being six foot four yeah. and how he wins those 50-50 balls. You know, I think those are the things that you were concerned about. And I think, look, that's that's going to show up in a, in a guy's first start, you know, what, six, eight months, nine months removed from the last time he played a football game in college when it was there on display then. But I don't think there's any question the offense looked, to me, a lot different than it did in week one. And that goes for the run game, for the blocking, the mobility, the, the way the zone reads. I mean, you know, even though, you know, on occasion his, his fakes were to the wrong side because he was still trying to get it figured out, they were still there. And I think you, you see what, what, you know, offensive coordinator Shane Steichen and Pep Hamilton want to do with them and what they, you know, we're going to see a lot of that. And it's likely with a full week of prep with the ones, I think it's going to be even more effective because there were, you know, I, I haven't. I didn't, I should have wrote it down, but I didn't when I was watching the game film back, but there were probably, I think just off the top of my head, six of those, those mesh points where he could have kept and taken off and would have got five to seven yards easy. And, and I'm almost wondering if maybe in the back of his head, you know, there was a seed planted like, Hey, I don't feel, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to come in as a rookie and run the ball, you know, nine times and take those carries away from Austin and Joshua or take away those throws from Keenan and Hunter and, and whomever else it might be, you know, that's just not, maybe that's, you know, subconsciously he's thinking, cause he's a bright guy. That's not the tone I want to set. Like I'm coming in to freaking take all these touches from each of you and, and you're all going to be pissed off. Right. Um, obviously my experience in finding out that Herbert was the starter was, uh, Kind of funny because I'm in Florida and the uh, Bills Dolphins game was still going on on CBS because uh, there was some delay. So I, you know, I'm you know freaking out trying to get the game on my TV because there's all these reporters on Twitter. Yeah, I get the notifications that Herbert's starting, and I'm just like, what's going on? Um, obviously, today we found out that Tyrod Taylor had a punctured lung uh, uh, as a result of the injection uh, gone wrong, and now uh, he might be out for. Uh, an extended amount of time, which leaves Herbert to be the starter. Um, so, I, yeah, I guess I was just curious kind of what your reaction was to that news uh, and, you know, how um, kind of the team goes on uh, going forward here. I mean, it's terrible news. You know, it's, it's, it is, I was having a conversation with someone earlier and just kind of, he was walking me through, look, there's, 
you know, that's, that's tricky. It's ribs. There's very little meat there. You know, you're, you're kind of right on top. It's not like putting a painkilling injection, you know, in a hammy or, you know, down in, in your calf area or something like that. I mean, that's, that's ribs. There's nothing that you, for a guy who's, you know, you yeah. look at tie rod and the physique he has, you're talking about someone who's probably four or 5% body fat, 8% body fat. I mean, that's tricky. It's scary. You know, you hope that he's okay, that, that long-term there's no issue there. I, I don't think there would be, but a very scary situation you know, when you're hearing about he was feeling tightness in his chest and he was having trouble breathing and you think about how much worse that could have gone. Um, so to hear he's okay and recovering certainly is is the most important thing. And I think that, you know, maybe that's why coach was so adamant about, hey, if he's healthy, he's my guy. Um, but at right. the same time, I, and that surprised me because it was it, I just felt like the offense looked like it was was operating at a much more efficient rate um, at a much higher capacity than it did in week one with Tyrod at the helm. And, and look, we know what Tyrod is. He's got 11 years to, uh, of showing us what he is. And that's someone who takes care of the football, will take an occasional shot, um, but, but plays it, I think, very close to the vest. And in protecting the ball is the most important thing to him. So when you see the weapons you have in this offense, I think it bears cutting it loose. You know, and, and, and letting Mike and Keenan and Hunter Henry, because they're going to have, and, and Austin Eckler, they're going to have mismatches all over the place because they're just that talented. So I just felt like Herbert, you know, showed a little bit more of that, especially with the arm strength um, and, and the willingness to kind of get out there and really get after it with his legs. So I just assumed that, that ultimately they would decide Herbert was the starter based on the film. I was not aware of the way that Tyrod lost the job or lost the start there. Um, and I think that that certainly makes it a little bit more tricky. Yeah, like you mentioned, there was just it seemed like there was more juice from everybody on the yeah. on the field on, on Sunday with with Justin Herbert and and really the play that stands out to me is like the difference between the two uh, is was Justin Herbert's throw to Keenan Allen on I believe third down, which he threw a strike right down the middle. I don't know if Tyrod Taylor can make that throw. Um, you know, that's that's a really tough throw for especially a, a young quarterback to make like that. Look, I'll tell you. You know, I said this and it's it's no disrespect to Philip. You know, I mean, I got him at the tail end of his career, but it's the best throw I've seen of a, by a Chargers quarterback wow. since I've been doing this. You know, it, it, you know, I'll tell you, I'll, you know what, I'll, I'll actually set, I'll reset that. It's the second best throw I've seen. The best throw I've seen was Rivers' anticipation throw to Travis Benjamin on fourth down in Kansas City on that Thursday night. Or that was okay. that was a ridiculous throw. Yeah, it was. But this for just power arm talent, accuracy, fitting it into a window that had no business having a ball fit into. Uh, you're right. That that throw, because it was over the outstretched arms of a safety and threaded perfectly into the hands of Keenan, who was covered by a corner. It was doubled. And and the ball was placed perfectly on his hands where only he could get it. Um, so, yeah, that's and, – and, and, and just think about the touchdown to Jalen, you know. And from the opposite hash, corner is closing – and to the opposite corner of the end zone on a freaking line. I mean, that thing was a seed and yeah, we just haven't seen, and, and you know, he's, and that's, and we saw that at the combine, you know, we, we knew, Hey, if, if it's a, a toss up between Herbert and Tua and you know, Herbert's got to come out here and show off that arm because we know Tua's got the intangibles. We know that he's got that suddenness. Uh, he's got the winning, you know, he's got the, the national championships, so Herbert's got to show off his arm, and he did. So we knew he had that arm talent. Um, so to be able to actually show it off, you know, on a third and goal, on a, just like think about 
And again, it's going to sound like I'm taking a shot at Philip. I'm not. I'm just saying what our experience has been the last couple of years. Think about Philip on a on a second and twenty four after taking a sack, right? And 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 what that looks like and what that has looked like in the past, you know, and him pressing and trying to make a play. Now, granted, Philip did not get to play behind an offensive line like Herbert did yesterday. It's 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 a you know I'm not I don't want to exaggerate or embellish. It's two hundred percent better than anything we've seen agree. up to this point. 100%. So, so, you know, yeah, you got to put that into context, but that throw after taking a horrible sack on first down to make it second and 24, he gets 15 of those back. And then on third and 10 is able to find Keenan to extend a drive to, to make, to, to you know, to keep it a two score game uh, or to make it a two score game was just freaking impressive. Um, and, and like you said, I just don't, I don't see Tyrod making those sort of plays. And, and I think that's, you know what what you have to weigh because you know he's going to make another he's, you know he's going to make more mistakes he it's just it's inevitable he's 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 in his second start um and you have to weigh those mistakes with the benefits of, of making plays like that right uh i just want another storyline in the game was uh obviously the defense uh, i thought they had a generally really good performance um all the way through you know going you know basically five quarters against the chiefs though they ended up kind of getting gassed by the end of it um, but one of the storylines was uh, Rayshon Jenkins. Obviously, he goes down with an injury, um, uh, groin injury. We don't know how long exactly he'll be out for. We'll see the injury report this week. But then um, after the game, we saw that Desmond King was publicly uh, on Twitter uh, unhappy about his playing time. And um, I was just wondering kind of what you thought uh, about that dynamic going forward. Uh, in the secondary with the Rayshon injury, um, obviously the addition of Chris Harris in what was Desmond King's former role. Uh, and now, you know, uh, Desmond King's kind of uh, unhappiness with his playing time. Yeah. So I guess I'll start with the last part there. I, I you know, I, I can't support that. I, I don't know why he would do something like that. And, and granted, you know, maybe it's my bias in, in getting to know these coaches, but you know, his, his position coach, Ron Miles is an awesome guy. You know, I've been able to hang out with him away from the field, even away from charger stuff, um, you know, in, in, in social functions, or I, I was with him at a high school basketball game and we were rapping for a while. He's a great dude. He's, like he's just a super down to earth, good guy. And you, you think about the Jack boys and the camaraderie they have, well, that's a reflection of their head coach. You know, that's the culture he's created in that room to make that bond that special between that group of guys who, who play for one another, who lay themselves out for one another um, and are genuinely excited for each other. So for Desmond to kind of crap all over that um, and make it about himself publicly, uh, you know, I think is selfish, Especially, you know, when you know what kind of guy Anthony Lynn is. He's a no-nonsense guy. Hey, man, I'm going to put it out there. You tell me. If you're not happy, come talk to me. You may not like what you hear, but at least you're going to hear it. And a lot of coaches don't play like that. You know, they play games with their players. And I think that's one of the, the great attributes of Coach Lynn is, is he is straightforward. So just on that front, I thought that was a poor decision on Desmond's part. As far as what it means going forward, look, Desmond – I don't. I did not like Desmond in the slot role last year. I thought they. I just felt like teams picked on him. And when I see teams picking yeah. on the same guy over and over again, it tells me that okay, well maybe he's not doing the job that he's supposed to be doing because these teams certainly feel like they found the Cheeto and they're going after it. Um, so that that now now with all that having been said, I thought when he came in for Rayshon and started playing some strong safety, he brought some thump. You know, he he brought a little bit of thump to that defense and made some really good plays. Um, I don't think he's a free safety. I don't think he has the range, the mobility, the quickness. 
to, to play that spot. But I think Desmond at strong is very interesting, um, you know, in place of an injured race, Sean, because I think you got to keep Adderley up there. He's just got his, his ball skills are superior to anybody else that would play that position. His quickness, his closing speed, you're going to give up some in experience and angles that he takes. Um, and that can be a little dangerous, but I think you leave Nasir at, at free and in place of, of Sean. now we'll see if he did any damage to himself with the tweet. And if he's got to pay for that, I don't know. I hope not. Um, cause, cause again, I think if you go back and watch the film, there's a couple plays where Desmond freaking thumped some dudes. I mean, really got him good. Yeah, that's a good point. I thought Desmond, he played pretty well, uh, against the Bengals, but like you mentioned, I thought he took it to a whole nother level, uh, on Sunday, which again, I just didn't understand, you know, why he would go to Twitter after having a good game. You know, you got to let the film speak for itself sometimes. And I thought that was, was a missed opportunity for Desmond to say, Hey, look, like yeah. I'm doing good things on the field. Uh, you know, why, why am I not playing as much as I think I should? Yeah. I just don't, I, I don't, it's never worked. You know, that doesn't work. Like, yeah. Just don't live. So it's one of those, it's kind of like the Joe judge, no names, no numbers, uh, hard ass training camp. It's like, how many, how many times do we have to hear this story to know that it never works? Like it, it never once yeah, I, have you heard, Oh, you know, he came in and, and took the stripes off our helmet and Hugh Jack said we, we had to earn our names and, and man, it galvanized us and it really worked. No, that doesn't happen. It's just like <laughs> going to Twitter to complain about your playing time and say that coaches aren't smart enough to put you out there never works. So right. um, again, I, I hope, you know, for his sake, he's in a contract year. He had a bad year last year. So I hope for his sake, it, you know, he's able to talk through it and get past it and recognize what he has in his position group coach and Ron Miles and, and what he's got in a head coach. And a, and a defensive coordinator in Gus and, and, and recognizes there is allies, you know, and, and use them and, and go out and freaking redeem yourself from, from a bad 2019 with a great 2020 and get a freaking giant contract. Everybody would be all for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the storylines headed into the offseason. Um, one of the things that I've been focusing on so far has been the development of Jerry Tillery. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but he is sixth among all defensive tackles in the league for pressures. He's had an amazing start. Uh, what do you make of his development? And, and overall, do you think this is, can continue? Or do you think this is kind of maybe just good matchups going that he's had uh, against the Bengals and the Chiefs? Well, I think there's a, there's a few things, right? Um, you, you, you don't play football in a vacuum, right? So there's what's around him. And what's around him is the best defensive tackle that we've seen since I've been here in four years. And that's Linval Joseph. He is a freaking mountain. Yeah. I mean, a mammoth human being that, does, that that garners a ton of attention. So that's benefiting Jerry for sure. Because before, next to him was Brandon Meebane, or it was just he and Justin Jones, two very young players that were still kind of figuring it out. So I think with Joseph next to him, and then on the outside of that, you got Melvin and Joey. I hope you can win some one-on-ones, you know, and, and, but that said, I, you know, even with all that being said, I do want to credit him and tip my cap because he, he just doesn't even look like the same player. Like last year I was, I, I think like most folks, wildly disappointed in Jerry Tillery. Um, did not see much, if anything from him last year. Now we know, and we've come to find out that he was dealing with an injury and the entire season. So health is a part of that, but you know, just, I don't care about the past. I just care about what happened, you know, the last two weeks and what's going to happen on Sunday. Looks like looks like a steal. Looks like another Tom Telesco steal in the first round if he keeps this up because he's just so big. He's so long, you know, and that's he's one of those physical freaks, you know, and that's what you're looking for is, you know, that that's 
whenever you see those guys raise their hand, oh, who's this guy at Notre Dame that had four sacks at Stanford, six pressures, and like 10 quarterback hits? He's how tall? He's six foot six, and he's got a seven foot <laughs> wingspan. Jesus. So, you know, that's, that, sh- that should work, right? That should work in the NFL. And I think when you get a mentor like Linval, who by all accounts is an awesome guy from what I've heard, obviously I haven't been around him because of the COVID stuff. So I haven't been able to kind of get that any vibe off him. But from what I've heard from everybody is he's just an exceptional player and an exceptional human and an incredible teacher for these guys. Yeah. You're, you know, those free agent signings go beyond, you know, what the production is on the field. It's Brian Balaga working with Sam Tevy and working with Trey Pipkins and, and helping out, you know, Feeney and, and whomever else is going to play guard, be it Forrest Lamp or St. Louis. I mean, those that that experience is invaluable. You know, Joseph has a Super Bowl. Balaga has a Super Bowl. And I think that, that Tom and his staff did a great job of bringing the right guys in, knowing that they were leaning on a lot of youth um, to hopefully make this a successful season and, and having the right bets to help bring that youth along perhaps faster than they otherwise might. Well, I was just going to say, uh, I don't know if Alex has any other questions, but I think this has been fantastic for me. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us and bringing all this energy. We look forward to uh, hearing you guys, you and Daniel Jeremiah on Sundays, calling the rest of the Chargers game here on out. Thanks for joining us. You got it, man. Love the uh, love the social media feeds. And, uh, you know, we'll probably do it again, I'm sure, down the road. Happy to do it. Sounds good. Awesome. All right. So, uh Thanks again, Matt, for joining us. We do really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it was funny because he had this, uh, you know, this space, uh, background on Zoom, which we were, you know, giving him a hard time over. But Alex, what was your, uh, main takeaway from talking with, uh, Matt? Smith? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, just kind of asking him about, uh, you know, certain things in the, uh, environment. I, uh, you know, just seeing Herbert's first start and the thing that really stuck with me. Uh, and talking to him is that he thought it was really like one of the best throws he's ever seen uh, a Chargers quarterback uh, throw. Now, you know, he's only been uh, commentating for the team for, you know, three years. So it's not a large body of work. But considering, you know, Philip Rivers has had a lot of great throws. Uh, he mentioned uh, Philip Rivers throw in uh, Kansas City on that fourth and eight to Travis Benjamin, which was really awesome. But, you know, he said Herbert threw one of the best balls he's ever seen uh, as the Chargers uh, commentator. So I thought that that was really cool. Um, yeah. And that uh, that frozen rope to Keenan Allen was pretty great. Watching the all 22 of that yeah. throw, man, like I was just so impressed with how Herbert handled the pressure that the Chiefs brought. And I really thought that the Chiefs brought more pressure consistently uh, against the Chargers than they had in the previous week against the Texans. Maybe that's a, a matchup and a game plan thing. Maybe that was them trying to test what Herbert could do. But I mean, I, I said on Sunday that I was all in on Justin Herbert and I, I am, you know, I think the potential is there. And that was, you know, something that stood out to, to Matt as well as you could clearly see the kind of potential that this kid has. It's just a matter of, you know, cleaning some things up, which I think, you know, this week he'll get the chance to do against the Carolina Panthers. Right. Yeah. And, uh, t- to me this week, the interesting thing to watch will just be, you know, can he slow the pace down a little bit, right? We saw some plays in which Herbert kind of wanted to go um, a little bit faster than he should have, uh, such as, you know, the interception where he should have just ran two yards out of bounds or uh, taking the sack or even the, uh, you know, taking the 14-yard sack and then taking the sack on third and goal where it's like, you know, uh, <laughs> that was the uh, 
wrong, uh, wrong, uh, wrong side handoff to Joshua Kelly. And then, you know, that play kind of fell apart. So I, I think for Herbert this week, I want to see a little bit just more, um, a little, you know, he showed a lot of poise last week, but I want to see kind of a little more, uh, calmness, just kind of, you know, playing the right situations. Uh, and I, I think he will look, um, better and less, uh, I guess, you know, frantic than he did last week at some instances, just because he's going to get a full, uh, full week of reps. Um, you know, the team is going into this game with him as the starter. So I think that that's a very different, um, situation than finding out you're the QB five minutes before the game. Uh, you know, right. <laughs> that's an incredibly different situation. So, uh, I think he will look better this week. Um, I expect him to throw to, you know, Keenan. Obviously, he was very heavy on Keenan and Hunter uh, this week. So, you know, and I'm sure you'll see still a lot of screens to Eckler and Kelly. Um, I'll be curious to see if he goes, maybe takes a deep shot or two to Mike Williams this week. Mike Williams kind of was a little bit restrained. He did take some deep shots to Williams, I want to say, early in, uh, late in the first, early in the second. Uh, that was, yeah, yeah the second drive. He was, um, yeah, the ball got batted away by Tyron Matthew, and then there was a shot right before that. So I'm, I'll be curious to see if he wants to, you know, um, get Mike Williams back a little bit and uh, give him a couple targets deep. So yeah, and I think he'll maybe fit them in a little bit better than he did uh, last week. That uh, it's funny because I talked about this in the film breakdown, but that throw from Herbert uh, to uh, the throw from Herbert to Williams that Matthew deflected reminded me of the 2018 uh, Mahomes uh, ball that he had for Tyreek Hill that Derwin James uh, deflected in the end zone. So it was kind of a very, very similar. Good call. Very yeah, similar call. Uh, looking play. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm curious to see just how Herbert looks this week. Uh, I want to see a little bit more calmness and uh, maybe let's get Mike Williams involved a little and uh, Joe Reed, but they're never going to get Joe Reed involved in anything. So, <laughs> oh man, that's been so frustrating. But yeah, I, the pace of play was really interesting because it was almost, it, it seemed like a double edged sword where it was like, you know, he didn't have time to worry, but at the same time, they could kind of tell that there were still some jitters, which is to be expected in a first start. Uh, so I think that's a good call. And to me, um, Anthony Lynn and Shane Steichen both talked about, you know, they, they kind of took away basically half of the play look on Sunday, right? So, and I think that includes kind of the deep shots that they have and, and more of the, the zone read RPO actions. You know, we didn't really see a whole lot of those. Um, we did see them run the speed option like seven times, which it worked pretty much every time. And, you know, he got that one, uh, that one read where he took it inside and ran for, I believe, nine or 10 yards and got a first down in the red zone. Uh, so I'm looking for some, maybe some more complex zone read options. Uh, I would love to see some more aggressive deep shot play calls. They really only had that one to Mike Williams that I can recall of, of him really being aggressive. And then obviously the interception, which seemed more of like an improvised play from uh, Keenan Allen and not necessarily the play call. So obviously that'll be a thing to watch with Justin Herbert. Um, you know, we also talked with Matt Smith about the defensive line and, and, you know, and then of course, after the interview it came out that the Chargers have a 10% blitz rate. So, uh, they are not blitzing, but they are still getting pressure on the quarterback at an extremely high rate. And a lot of that is due to the defensive line. And, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about Jerry Tillery and he's played fantastic, but, uh, I've got to eat my words a little bit on today's show. And you know, I didn't think Uchenna Mwosu was going to be 
as good as he is this year. I didn't think I had never really seen him, you know, be this consistent, but he's been a force and credit to him. You know, he's been, uh, quite a, uh, an efficient player right now. And, uh, it's been fun to watch this, to see them do that kind of NASCAR package where they bring out Nwosu, Ingram, Bosa, and Jerry Tillery. Uh, I expect them to do that a lot more often as yeah, well. Yeah, that's just, uh, speed and droves right there. Just kind of, you know, killing you if you got those, uh, four guys on the field at the same time. Um, uh, you know, I think the big real, the real big help for the defensive line has been Linval Joseph. Uh, just through these first two weeks, he's just been uh, massive, both <laughs> physically speaking and figuratively speaking. Uh, Literally. Yeah, in a lot of ways. But it just, you know, the, the thing that I said when they signed him is just like, if you, you know, if, if he can get that double team off Bosa or if he can get that double team off Ingram once in a while, it's like that's the, that's the situation where I think that that's worth it. Right. If you have to double team Ingram uh, or double team Joseph on a rep, but like he's doing it so frequently, like even way more frequently than I thought he would uh, to the point where it's like Bosa is, you know, uh, caving in, you know, uh, the poor left side of the Chiefs line. Uh, what was that? Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, was that that was Schwartz, right? Yeah. So he, he's caving him in with 10 pressures in a sack. Um, and it's just like, you know. The way that Linval Joseph has opened it, this uh, can of worms of this, you know, monster defensive line, I just think has been so uh, cool to see. Um, and it's what they've needed for so many years with just not great performances when it comes to the interior. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, no, I don't want to, you know, discredit what Brandon Meebian was as a leader, as, as you know, a, as a player for this team. But really, his job was to take up double teams in the run game. And now with Linval Joseph, they have a true playmaking nose tackle, which they haven't had since Jamal Williams. Uh, and, you know, he's his motor is always going. I love the way, you know, he runs and scrapes down the line and makes some plays that way. Uh, you know, he's got four or five pressures on the season, so it's not like he's uh, totally non-existent in the passing game either. So I, I've loved watching Linval Joseph work and, you know, having these kind of players around Jerry Tillery and Justin Jones is only going to, you know, help them improve. And that's something that Matt Smith talked about as well. You know, Jerry Tillery is in a perfect situation because he's, you know, likely never going to have to do a double face, a double team consistently because he's got Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram and Trenton Wosu and, and Linval Joseph in the run game. So it's just been so fun to watch his development but at the same time, like he, you know, he is going to be facing a lot of one-on-one matchups, and thankfully, he's been winning those matchups. So, um, we'll get into the injury report right now. I think that's kind of been the the big news from today as well. Um, from a Carolina standpoint, um, Dennis Daly is their starting left guard. He has not played yet, so Michael Schofield has been starting. Um, Dennis Daly has not participated this week. So in practice, so I do not expect him to play. Um, so that'll be fun to see Michael Schofield and, uh, you know, go against Limbaugh Joseph. I think that's going to be really funny to watch. Uh, and then the big one really was Russell Okung. You know, he had a groin injury pop up. He was not listed on the injury report yesterday, but he was listed today and did not participate. So, um, I don't really know what the plan is to do, but if if he doesn't play, man, and they have to play Trent Scott, oh man, I'm gonna laugh so hard. If they had to play Trent Scott, it would just be it would be it would be a big old, <laughs> big old family reunion right there. 
<laughs> oh man, I, I'm gonna. I would laugh so hard, man. That'd be so funny. Um, other than that, you know, they had uh, Kwan Short who hasn't practiced all week. I don't know if he's played, but uh, that would be a big loss for them as well. Um, Etor Grossmatos, their rookie defensive end, had a concussion, but it looks like he's going to clear. And then for the Chargers, the linebacker depth is really the thing that is, you know, pops most off the injury report to me because Asmar Bilal and Nick Vigil have not participated in practice this week. Uh, if both of them or one of them cannot go, I would imagine the team uh, calls up Malik Jefferson from the practice squad and has him, you know, serve as, as the depth piece there. Uh, any other standouts to you from the Chargers injury report? Uh, I guess Justin Jones was the other one because Lynn had been talking about his injury being a little bit worse than Balaga's. Um, and that's not that's not good to have him out. I guess, you know, his loss is kind of, you know, slightly more nullified by the fact that Tillery has been so dominant. Um, but I still think, you know, they, this team would like to have Jones um, especially when it comes to kind of the run game, uh, you know, putting him right next to Linval Joseph on certain uh, snaps. So, you know, I, I hope that he's able to play soon. Doesn't look like he's going to play this week. Um, Brian Balaga looks like he might be out. Uh, so that might be another dose of the Trey Pipkin show. Not that I think that that's going to be a huge issue this week with Carolina. Uh, but, you know, we'll see how that goes. So th- those two, I think Balaga and Justin Jones are really the ones that pop out to me. Yeah, Justin Jones is uh, obviously, you know, Anthony Lane has not put a timetable on it. He doesn't do that unless it's a season ending injury. Um, but Daniel Popper seems to think that this might be a few weeks of, of being out for Justin Jones. You know, we'll see what his shoulder injury and how it progresses. Uh, Brian Balaga has been a limited participant in practice both days, so I guess we'll have to wait and see if he's a full participant tomorrow. Uh, but him not playing wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. You know, I would much rather him be 100% going to Tampa Bay and New Orleans than than trying to because the Panthers don't have any kind of pass rush that scares me. So I'm okay with if he if he misses a week. Uh, and then the other one is Rayshon Jenkins. He's got a groin injury which he hurt and. <laughs> Like I mentioned on the on Sunday's episode, I just thought he got hit in the nuts because that was his <laughs> immediate reaction. Um, so he's been a limited participant in practice both days as well. Uh, if he can't go, I would imagine that means they have to call up Jaleel Adai, everybody's favorite safety edition for this <laughs> week, uh, to make his uh, long-awaited return to Los Angeles. Yeah, Ideas. so we're getting Jaleel Adai, Trent Scott, really bringing like the whole the whole 2017, <laughs> 2018 crew back together. You know, so it's gonna be gonna... Yeah. all we all we're missing is Travis <laughs> Benjamin, and, and and we're good. Got the trifecta. Um. What did you make of the Jilla Adai signing? Because I know a lot of people were asking me. I don't know if anybody was asking you. I'm okay with it because I don't think he's going to be playing free safety. I think Nasir Adderley is kind of cemented back there right now. Uh, so I'm okay with with uh, Jilla Adai, excuse me, as a death piece of strong safety. Do you agree with that statement right. as well? Uh, no one's really been asking me because I don't have my fucking Twitter right now. Uh, so that's, yeah. <laughs> that's right. But anyway... Um... <laughs> No, I mean, I, I like the Jaleel signing. I think it's someone who's familiar with the system. Uh, not quite playing the same, you know, starting role he did before, which, you know, got him into a lot of trouble with some of the ways he played. But I think that, you know, being in that kind of depth reserve role is good for him. 
Uh, he's in an environment where, you know, if he if he has to play, right, some kind of, you know, amount of snaps, uh, I, I feel more comfortable in him than I do in a lot of the other, you know, safeties who don't know, uh, don't know the scheme and don't know Gus. Um, so I think that that it's, it's better to have him, uh, than a lot of these other kind of safeties that are around. So I'm fine with having him on the practice squad. I am as well. And I would have loved to see Jalen Watkins be brought in, but you know, I'm, I'm fine with Jalil Adai as well. And as far as him playing, I would much rather Jalil Adai play than see Elohi Gilman, uh, trot out there, which would be, uh, not pleasant. Cause I think that would be just basically like Rod Teamer all over again. Um, any other thoughts about the injury report before we move into the keys to the game? Was there anyone else that was notable? Those are the guys that I mainly saw. Oh, I guess we should mention Justin Jackson too, uh, with his quad. He has not participated. I don't think Justin Jackson is going to play. That being said, I don't really know if that, if it really is that even big of a loss, kind of similar to the Mike Pouncey thing, because Joshua Kelly, he's been pretty fantastic. He wasn't super efficient on Sunday, but he showed some nice explosiveness in the passing game as well. And he had 25 touches on Sunday. And you know, I don't think that's going to happen again. Uh, but I, I'm fully okay with Joshua Kelly and Austin Eckler kind of being a uh, kind of like a 55-45 split going forward. Yeah, I don't like that uh, Joshua Kelly had 25 to 20 touches uh, in, in favor of him. You know, I just don't think that should <laughs> yeah. happen in principle just because I think Eckler is so good. So I, I wish it was something like 60-40 or 55-45, like you said, uh, in favor of Eckler. But um yeah, no, I mean, I think Justin Jackson can, can be useful when he's healthy. It's just, you know, it uh, seems like he's not going to play this week again, which is uh, sort of uh, a loss for him, unfortunately. And then that gives Joshua Kelly, you know, third straight week here to really uh, make an impression against a Carolina linebacker group and, you know, defensive line that has been kind of uh, much maligned so far to start the season outside of Derek Brown. So... It's, um, you know, it's, it, it could be really uh, a great rush day for uh, Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly, who, you know, put up so many yards in these first two games. And now, you know, you get to play the Panthers. So it, it's, you know, not a great situation for Justin Jackson. It really isn't. And, you know, I do feel bad for him because, you know, he he's never had like a major injury, but it's like anytime he gets some momentum, he gets, you know, a hamstring, a quad or a calf or whatever, you know, these small issues that kind of force him to miss time. So uh, that's kind of a good segue, because to me, I feel like one of the keys to this game for the Chargers is getting Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly in space. I, you know, I know they've been getting good push up front and, and they've been running the ball up the middle a lot, which I don't I think that kind of has to come down, especially this week, because I think the weakness of the Carolina Panthers is the edge and so i think you know the defensive ends etor grossmatos is is a rookie he's not like super experienced and then their linebackers outside of sean shack thompson uh are not great and the raiders kind of torched them you know josh jacobs had an amazing game in week one and then leonard fournette shockingly was <laughs> looked like a good running back again so to me i feel like the running backs really have to get going specifically out in space you know, set up some screen game uh, situations and Joe Reed off the edge. You know, we saw what that one play did. And I, I would love to see some more end arounds and stuff like that. So for me, you know, getting these versatile options out in space, out on the edges is going to be a key to this game. Right. Uh, I think that that's going to be a big deal. So, yeah. 
wide receiver screens, whatever you want to do, running backs. Um, I think that, you know, it's it's sort of something he excelled at. Uh, I think he missed some opportunities this week uh, against the Chiefs in terms of getting the ball out to a guy who was sort of heading for kind of a screen-like pass. Uh, but he did really well when it came to the screen game, uh, put the ball right on the money, and then, you know, you had like a Joshua Kelly gain for 35 yards or Keenan Allen breaking out for 15, right? So you had those kind of plays, and uh, that's why I think just getting these guys in space is so useful, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I think definitely getting the ball to Eckler uh, up the middle or, you know, kind of, uh, you know, sweeping it to the outside, I think that's going to be more uh definitely bigger in this game uh because of the fact that the edge for the panthers is weak and you know the chargers uh you know their interior is not that great outside of brown either so i think the run game in general and uh attacking the edge is a weakness and uh maybe picking on <laughs> some of the secondary i i was laughing earlier today you called the panthers secondary five brandon face-ons uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I think definitely, uh, setting up the run game, which will allow Herbert to become more comfortable, uh, against this secondary than I think he was against the Chiefs. Um, I think those are both, yeah, two very important keys to the game. Yeah. So that's, that brings up another, uh, reunion because obviously the Panthers have Trey Boston as their, uh, starting free safety. So. Um, I really like, you know, they're young pieces. I, I really do like Jeremy Chin and Troy Pride. I think eventually they'll get there. Uh, but this should be a relatively easy game for this offense. And in terms of Justin Herbert, you know, if he can be that efficient uh, quarterback that he was on Sunday and, and clean up some things, I think this offense could be, you know, in for a, a potentially a 30-point game, you know, maybe 300-something yards from Herbert. And, you know, this defense for the Panthers is just not very good. That being said, the thing that worries me about this game, uh, obviously Christian McCaffrey is out, so that would be like the main thing. But uh, Robbie Anderson has has given a lot of teams a lot of problems over the years, and the Chargers have kind of struggled with players like him. Uh, obviously, Tyreek Hill had uh, some success of it, you know, late in the game for the Chiefs. So how they go about stopping Robbie Anderson for me is is kind of the next key to the game. Yeah, Robbie Anderson's interesting because I kind of view him, he's not as fast as Tyreek Hill, I don't think, but he's a little bit better of a route runner. So, like, it's not just a situation, in my opinion, where you can, like, stick Michael Davis on him and just, like, kind of let him run down the field. Um, I think he's a bit of a, of a tougher cover um, in that sense. So, I, I don't know what the plan will be. I think you'll see someone maybe, like, uh, Chris Harris or maybe uh, someone like that on Robbie Anderson. We'll see how exactly that plays out. Um, yeah, or maybe you'll even see, I don't know if they would go with Casey on him, but yeah, I mean, it's theoretically possible if he's really um, Carolina's number one receiver. But, uh, yeah, no, outside of that, you know, you, you talked about uh, DJ Moore, who I think is developing pretty nicely as well, and I, I think he's someone to worry about in this game a little bit, but uh, outside of that, on the Carolina offense, you know, they're, they don't really have a good tight end. Uh, it's, you know, not really great running backs, considering McCaffrey's not playing uh, as that really dangerous, uh, you know, kind of dual threat, uh, you know, rushing and receiving option. So, you know, if the Chargers lock down really Anderson and or at least contain Anderson and, uh, 
uh, DJ Moore, I, I really don't see a lot of other ways that the Panthers can offensively uh, really attack them, especially considering the offensive line situation versus the Chargers defensive line. That, you know, especially if Russell Okun can't go. If Russell Okun can't go, man, this is going to be this is going to be a bloodbath for the Chargers defensive line. Uh, and that's important because, you know, in both games, they've gotten off to such a fast start. And then in the second half, I've kind of slowed down. And so that really is something that I think should be, you know, more of a, I don't want to say concern, but it's not really being talked about because they really got basically no pressure against Mahomes and no pressure against uh, Joe Burrow in each of those second halves. So obviously not having to go against Russell Okun would help to, you know, uh, reach that goal. But to me, you know, the Chargers defensive line has been so lights out in the first half and that needs to carry over the second half, especially if they get out to an early lead and Teddy Bridgewater is kind of thrown from from behind. And, you know, if the Chargers get up 14-0 real quick, which I think could could, could realistically happen, then, you know, this Chargers defense is going to be ha- having to rush the passer a lot more than they were in the past couple of weeks. So that'll be another th- interesting thing to keep an eye on. Uh, do we want to get to our predictions now? So I I hesitate to kind of predict the Chargers winning easily. Um, the over-under for this game is 44, so Vegas doesn't see it as as a potential shootout. Uh, the Chargers are favored by 6.5, which I thought was pretty high. Um, so my personal prediction is going to be 24-20. to 20. Uh, in favor of the Chargers, I feel like, you know, Teddy Bridgewater and company will get some potentially garbage time touchdown, but I don't think this is going to be a close 24 to 20. I think the Chargers are going to win this, uh, relatively easy. Yeah. Uh, I'll go Chargers 30, Panthers 20. Uh, I think this is the first week, you know, you'll see the Chargers, you know, with an, with another week of Justin Herbert open up the playbook a little bit. I, I just don't don't think the Panthers have someone that can keep up with Keenan Allen. I don't really think they have a group that can handle Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly. Um, and not a lot of coverage either for Mike Williams or Hunter Henry. I just don't think they have good matchups. And the Chargers receiver group is good in general. But, you know, when it came to the Chiefs, for example, right, you had Tyron Matthew and you had guys that I think can kind of like stick on uh, Keenan Allen or Mike Williams and then sort of try to take them out of the game. I don't really think the Panthers have that, and I think that's such a huge disadvantage when playing the Chargers who, you know, if they don't have one weapon working, they can go to another weapon. So it, it's it's tough when you when your secondary is five Brandon Faisons, as you said. Um, but I don't know. It's, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough game, I think, for the Panthers from a defensive standpoint uh trying to kind of cool you know justin herbert and uh you know cover up the chargers weapons really well and i think it's a tough game for them offensively because their offensive line is in a bit of a mess right now uh teddy bridgewater has looked all right through the first couple games but if he doesn't have that defensive line he's not someone that's going to run out of the pocket and cause chaos uh he's not you know Mahomes on third down, or uh, even Burrow, you know, can move his legs a little bit. Uh, Bridgewater's uh, knee kind of prevents him from doing that uh, in in a lot of ways. So uh, I think that 
he's more of a standard pocket passer type, and I think that the Chargers, considering the defensive line and offensive line matchups, that is something that definitely does not go in Carolina's favor. And even with someone like Joe Burrow who can move, we saw how much of a struggle and how much uh, he went through in week one just being harassed uh, kind of on every throw. Yeah, that is a good point because Teddy Bridgewater, uh, obviously he used to be mobile. I, I don't want to say he's Philip Rivers' statue type, but um, they do do some uh, bootlegs quite frequently. So that'll be something maybe they do that more often with the offensive line um, coming up. But the Christian McCaffrey thing, you know, I never root for injuries. I always want to see players at their best, obviously. But, man, this this schedule for the Panthers is, is not getting any easier, easier. They play the Cardinals next week, then the Falcons, Bears, Saints, Falcons again, and then the Chiefs and Buccaneers. So if Christian McCaffrey misses all of that time, you know, the Panthers weren't in kind of a winning situation anyway, but, uh, you know, we might see some losses really start piling up for the Panthers without Christian McCaffrey, who really – that was my main concern for the Chargers in this game is because we've seen how this defensive scheme kind of funnels targets to the running back. And Chris McCaffrey is good enough to break those to the house and kind of, you know, open up a game. So, uh, you know, not having to go against Chris McCaffrey really is a huge blessing for the Chargers defense. Can you read that Panthers schedule one more time? So they have obviously the Chargers this week and then Cardinals, Falcons, Bears, Saints, Falcons, Chiefs, Buccaneers. Tank for Trevor. Tank for Trevor. Tank for Trevor. <laughs> you know you want him, Carolina. <laughs> Man, the, the the tank for Trevor talk has been uh, increasing if throughout the league. Uh, there's a lot of talk that the Jets and Giants could potentially be uh, looking to do the same thing. And, you know, everybody wants Trevor Lawrence, and a lot of people are, are talking about Justin Fields too. So um, the Jaguars, I mean, they lost tonight, but the Jaguars looked – they have looked com- mostly competitive throughout three games, and I think that's kind of been a surprise to people. Um, but we might see uh, a few teams starting to uh, – to not outright tank, but they might be releasing some players and, and putting some young guys in over veteran players pretty soon. I mean, some teams should just go and hire Sam Hinkie as the GM uh, and really get the tanking trade. <laughs> I mean, it's Trevor Lawrence. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta really put effort into the tank here if you want him. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm curious to see who the, who the Trevor contenders will be. And, the way that this is shaping up for the Panthers, the state of their offensive line without McCaffrey and all that, uh, they they certainly strike me as a potential contender, especially since they they always viewed Bridgewater as a bit of a um, stopgap guy. So, you know, it, it'll take a lot to really turn this around to a point where they're not a, a Trevor or at least it's kind of a Justin Fields uh, contender. Yeah, they. I don't know if they would buy into maybe um, drafting an offensive tackle early, you know, a Panay Sewell, a, a Samuel Cosme, because, you know, Russell Okung has, like, been the best left tackle they've had since Jordan Gross retired, and Russell Okung is injured after two games. So, um, you know, I appreciate what Russell did in Los Angeles, but, you know, you never really knew if he was going to play a game or not <laughs> because he was always on the injury report. So um, I'm expecting this to be a fun game for the Chargers. You know, I'll have to be – uh you know, venturing into my second time doing an illegal stream, which will be interesting to see if that works out. Um, but I do expect the Chargers to win relatively easy, so I guess we'll have to see. But I'm excited about Justin Herbert. I'm excited about Jerry Tillery. 
Uh, you know, Kenneth Murray has been making some plays and, and, uh, you know, this team has a lot of young guys that are contributing and it's just, you know, an exciting thing to see right now. So that will do it for today's show. You guys make sure and tune into the film breakdowns on Patreon. I posted one on DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson earlier today. Alex did one on Justin Herbert and we will be giving away a Kenneth Murray Jersey at the start of next month. So, uh, if you want to enter into that giveaway, all you have to do is sign up on our Patreon page. The link is in our bio on Twitter, and you can also find it on whichever platform you listen to our podcast on. Um, as little as $1 will get you a uh, entry into that giveaway. Alex, any other thoughts before we wrap up today? Oh, uh, So, yeah, you can check out, obviously, my Justin Herbert breakdown, but we actually did uh, in last week's breakdown uh of the Bengals and the josh kelly game i did your patreon q a's because we forgot to do them on the show uh so i just wanted to there's a yes. little uh, announcement that we did uh, do the q a's we did not forget about them and uh they are in on uh patreon in the joshua kelly uh breakdown so check them out there yes good call we did not forget about the the questions we did answer them uh eventually <laughs> um well all right guys thanks for tuning in hope you enjoy this episode it'll be right around two hours so uh lots of good content headed your way uh thanks for tuning in don't forget to leave us a rating or a review uh if you've learned something new in this episode please tweet us and let us know uh thanks again don't and we'll see you next time. time everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.